0: video ready some of y'all have seen this because I made the grave error of posting this on Facebook do you guys have that okay Um, I I made this error of posting it on Facebook and then I was like oh shoot I want to use that Sunday so if you haven't seen it yay if you have seen it enjoy it again but um, somebody had shared this on Facebook and I watched it and I literally (laughs) I just couldn't stop watching it I was just in love with this video and uh, so let's let's watch this really fast And angel came to see Mary,
1: she was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, like I can't say it good. Mary, you're going to have a baby, I, you're going to have a baby, you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet, I'm don't angel were married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, mm-hmm. ha- 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 which was Joseph's <laughs> old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. <laughs> they tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. So Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a stable, and then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, and then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is get, getting born. Who is king of the Jews? The angels were singing. us." And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one. They have at home. Some diapers and some wipes. <laughs> and some milk, some shoes, <laughs> some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Vladimir. And I don't know how it would survive in that barn too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably (laughs) pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. (laughs) (laughs) The new baby is gonna change the world.
0: quite literally, Jesus changes everything, right? I loved it. I watched it, and I watched it at least three times, because every time there's something little, I think my favorite part is Joseph at the end. I mean, he's like wrapping it out there, right? Like, you're the dude, you're the dude. And it just, I had Jordans, like, bless this baby's feet, right? He was going to walk a lot, and she knew he needed some Jordans to be able to do this. And it just, ah, oh man, that just blessed my, my heart when I saw that the other day, because I thought, man, just how often do I perceive the story through a brain that's heard it a million times, right? And this just happened in a way that so you're hearing it and seeing it through their eyes. It's, a, it's just such a different perspective. And that's what I'm praying for for this morning. It's just a change, a lens change, a perspective change, um, because I don't know about y'all, but I did a little bit of a a real um, unscientific survey the other day of a group of gals that I was with, and I asked them some of their stresses from Christmas. Like, what are their biggest fears? Like, what are their stresses? And these were some of the, the answers that they gave me. I don't think they were coming like this to Christmas. They were hearing feeling inadequate, for what was being asked of them. Not being prepared, not going home. When does home change for us? Like, as a child, there's not a thought on that. Like, we go home, mom and dad are home, home is wherever, you know, all the little cliched sayings. But as an adult, there's this desire to go home. And they've actually studied that. It has a name, I I don't know the name, but it's this yearning to go back somewhere. And uh, so a friend of mine just had this fear of, like, what happens when I can't go home one day? What, what, what does that look like? I'm exhausted from trying to make it all happen. Moms and dads, you guys know that, right? The exhaustion. Angry mommy moments. I think my friend actually called it, like, mommy dinosaur, like, when that comes out. But angry mommy moments, losing our cool when we try to make everybody happy. Unmet expectations. Sometimes we don't know that we've not met an expectation until it roars its head, right? Like we think we're doing it all, and then suddenly we realize either we've let that down, or somebody else lets us know that we've let them down. More clutter, more mess, more home to control and take care of. I have a lot of friends who the months before just start emptying their house of stuff. My kids don't really let me do that very well. Um, I, I love it when I hear like people are like they're giving stuff away. My children, things get gone through, <clears throat> here's the secret, when they're not home, and then it just sort of disappears, out of sight, out of mind, but they're not usually part of that process. Um, well, for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at fears at Christmas, and Zechariah, two weeks ago, fears of unanswered questions. Why hasn't God answered? He lost hope. He lost hope. And last week, we looked at Joseph, fear of obedience. What happens if I do as God actually asks And this week, we're going to go in between those two stories. We're going to go back to Mary's heart. And we're going to go back there because I was identifying with her, maybe as a woman, maybe as a mom. Um, I was identifying with my friends as they shared their, their stories. We had gone from a moment of laughter like that, just like all crying with laughter over a few things, to people having tears well up in one question. What's your biggest fear? I mean, it like emotionally just, I mean, it you could feel the shift in the room. It just became very serious all of the sudden. I almost felt a little bad, like I dropped a bomb in the midst because everybody kind of, from laughing to like, mm, and then we were done with our group. <laughs> I was like, oh and Merry Christmas. Have fun. Anyway, I was like, maybe we need to talk through that a little bit, but we're going to look at Mary first, and I'm just going to give you a heads up If you have your Bibles, awesome. If not, it's behind me, or it will be, but the first part we're going to look at, I want to look at it in the message because I love the message version of this. I don't think I'd ever actually read it in that, and then I'll be jumping back to the English Standard Version. So whatever your Bible is, awesome. We'll catch up up here. But let's look at Luke 1, okay, and uh, jump in with where Mary is. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, is it coming up here? I'm going to read off here. This is awesome. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you she was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. I mean, seriously, does that not slightly feel like the video we just watched? I mean, it it just has that feeling to it. And if you know about the message, when they went back and rewrote it, they weren't trying to just like rewrite the Bible, but they were trying to take like the, the thought, the heart, from the original text, and and it changed it some. It lost some of the Greekness, I guess, but to make it, what was the feeling that was being evoked by the original authors? And I love that, he has a surprise for you. Surprises are usually good, right? Like, if he's (laughs) saying that. Anyway, all right, no, you can keep going, you're good, sorry. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. So... I love the idea that we need to remember where this account occurred, okay? So it's Gabriel's second mission. Gabriel had already come before and he came to Zechariah. And uh, Zechariah's situation was really different than Mary's situation. First of all, he wasn't gonna be the one pregnant, right? And frankly, Zechariah had a house that had been prepared and it was empty. And, And he was being told of an improbable situation. They had waited. For many, many years with an empty but prepared home. I mean, he had a great job, you know? I mean, he, he, he wasn't lacking in any way to take care of something filling their home, but it was improbable. She was gone with that. Mary's was impossible, right? This comes and it is like, uh, yeah, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. I mean, I can't even imagine because they say it's like a 13, 14 year old girl, right? And I can only imagine how, yeah, no no i mean i don't know if girls back then had the attitude that some teenagers sometimes have a little bit now but i can imagine there'd be a little spark of yeah no you know that kind of like what but that's not our mary here that's not mary in a world filled with impossibilities where Zachariah's fear became doubt mary becomes faith and there's a distinct difference here in how mary responded to this call, this word from Gabriel, than Zachariah did. So let's keep reading. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I think I changed translations there. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So, because I'm dyslexic, y'all, I have like a ton of pages here because I do have to have notes and I have to have them all spread out so that I can glance at them and find it again. So, just I'm going to be doing some shuffling, but that's okay. So, here's our big idea. Ready? This passage makes it clear that Gabriel knows Mary's heart. He directly addresses her fears. Gabriel promises the impossible w- that Gabriel the impossible will happen, but that it will require Mary to yield control. Woo! yielding control so that's what we're talking about today is yielding control in the face of the impossible she chooses three very specific responses to the roar of the fear in her own heart so we're just gonna look at that i think there's lots of stuff as i was reading over this week it was like the lord was just like and this and this and this and this and i was like all right we're gonna you know you're preaching so you could do it in threes right that's the holy number so we're just limiting it here so we're gonna look at that three things First, she chose to trust. Let's jump to verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. She was greatly troubled, wondering about this. But she waited to respond, if we see that there. When she does respond, she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? She asks a question. She didn't make more of it than it was. She listened, she heard, she asked the obvious. So, I don't know, I, I love my teenage daughter, and we have moments of dialogue often in our home, and one of those moments is that as two females, we don't always ask from one another. A lot of times we state things, right, which kind of reminds me of Zachariah, like he's like, yeah, no. No. Like, that's not going to happen. That can't happen. You know, and there's like, and so Mary waits and listens and then she asks. When we're training little kids, we often teach them that, right? Okay, you're going to ask for a cookie. You're going to ask for this. You're not going to come up and tell me this is happening. You're going to ask. So it's interesting because here we do have a young teenager who I'm like, go score for Mary's mom and dad, right? They were raising a beautiful young woman right there. I mean. Maybe she's unusual, but I'm pretty sure that we try to teach common sense manners nowadays, and they were teaching it then, but she did it. I'd be so proud of her if that was my daughter. Um, So she didn't make more of it. She listened, asked the obvious, then waited. Her faith overcame her doubt. Like a child asks questions, she voiced hers, unlike Zachariah, who argued, which reminded me of that video that we had watched. The kids just stating it and elaborating it a little bit on where their heart was, where they were coming at it. She trusted Gabriel. She listened. She then trusted Elizabeth when Elizabeth spoke into her. She trusted Joseph to make the right decision. She didn't argue, she didn't fight, she didn't try to push or manipulate, she trusted, and she trusted God. So what's happening is bigger than she was. With childlike faith, she trusts Gabriel's word, preparing to yield to a calling. We have to choose faith and to trust. It's not always instinctive for us to trust. A lot of us come to to this room today with a background of baggage. And and it's not always easy to just say, I'm going to trust what God says in my life. I'm going to trust my spouse when I get married. Sometimes we have to choose to do that. And it's an active thing. It's not passive, I think, anymore. that passive sense often brings up like insecurities, right? And we start to question, we start to doubt, but she actively chose to be different and to walk into something in a different way. So my question for you guys and for myself this morning is what is God calling us to lay down and choose childlike faith? Because there's always something, always, that he is calling us to lay down, to become more Christ-like means to be less Meg-like in the sense of I have a distinctly strong sense of justice. Like my kids can tell you, <laughs> I, am, I am just full of this sense of justice. Have been since I was a kid. My parents always thought I should have become an, a lawyer because I could argue you down. I did great in debate. I had no problems. I mean, I could just take it to the end. And one thing the things the Lord has spoke to me, spoken to me about is to shush up. I'm your defender. I fight the battle for you. Which is, I think, why that song has been such a big deal the last couple of months. Like, how do I fight this battle? This is how I fight the battle. Because it's him doing it, not me. And that is so not Meg-like. I mean, it's just not. I am just, I am in there. I am pushing in. And he's like, let me, let me show you a different way. And, uh, and she got it so much faster than I did. She got it so much faster. Secondly, she chose to submit So in verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son. Well, then after she waits, her answer is to this impossible promise. She responds, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. Do you ever wonder about the darkness that was left there at that moment? I mean, it just stops. You have this whole moment, I mean, we assume every time we see it, there's like this, you know, the, the sound, I won't sing for y'all, but like <laughs> the angels singing and Gabriel appears and everything is disrupted. And then the angel leaves her. Like, boom, it's over. So, if, uh, if we drop to a little time in history during the time, I think this is during Charlemagne's reign, so we're going way back in history, the pagan Saxons were defeated in a battle by the Christian army of Europe, and they were pressured to submit to Christian baptism. So they were moving through, and they were just taking over, and Charlemagne was like, I mean, it was just rapid, like he was just extending borders all the place, and wherever he went, you became his. Okay? And part of that was that you were supposed to be baptized. It doesn't matter who you were, what you were, you're now going to be baptized into the faith. Um, you didn't get a choice on that. You did it or you died. So, that was it. And so, the Saxons agreed, but on one condition, whether they're right-handed or left-handed. I know I'm right-handed. But when they got ready to be baptized, they said, all right, we're going to agree as a group, and we're going to prep this. But My right hand, as I go down, it's going to stand up. And it's going to have my sword in my hand. And you can baptize all of me but my fist. Because that's my fighting sword. And you can't have that. Fighting wrist. Fighting hand? Anyway, that's the fighting arm. And you can't have that. You're going to baptize everything else. And they they did it. They threw the rocks. They fought with the swords. They killed with that hand. And everything else became Christian except that hand. And that's, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting story because there's a lot more to it than just that. Um, But I think it affected from that point on how that group of people viewed how they had come into the Christian faith. There was a resistance and a rebellion to that. There was not a submission there. They were baptizing everything but that part. How often do we do that when we submit, right? So we're like, all right, God, you got all of me except this one bit here because I need this. We wanna use that part for life for what I want. I wanna be able to hold on to it just a little bit. I don't need to hold on to it a lot. I need to hold on to it just a little bit. So you get like 99% of me, but submission doesn't really work that way. It's true surrender or not at all. Right here, it's interesting, I love this and I didn't really get it until I went back and I was reading about all this, but um, when she says the Lord's servant, right here. And we go back to the original Greek. It's really a word called doulos right there, the word doulos. And, and when I was pregnant with Cohen, um, I had had these two beautiful daughters that we had adopted and went through all sorts of stuff to get. It was quite the, the walk with each of them. And then when we got pregnant with Cohen, I was terrified, y'all. I mean, I'd never been through um, being in a hospital after I'd given birth or, or giving birth like at all. I mean, I just was like, oh my word. And I have a good friend of mine pardon me, who is a, just a, a person of peace. Like when she walks into my life, she brings this sense of peace. And she's a nurse, but she's also a trained doula. And that's what she does. And she came to Brad and I and she said, I know this is a little weird, but I just want to offer myself to you guys to help in whatever way. Um, if you're looking for a doula, and I don't want to overstep any boundaries, but I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. And Brad and I were like, what does a doula do? like I mean I don't know you know like so tell me and she's like anything anything you need from being there like massaging i mean she's trained in medical stuff and helping you she starts at the beginning of it and goes through transition of labor she does all of it she's like and if you need something to eat i'll run to McDonald's for you i can run and get you guys something it's really whatever you guys need that day i'm yours or that couple of days, however long it takes, I'm yours 100%. And that's the same word here, where it says the Lord's servant, that's the word doulas, which is where we get the idea for doula. You've got to be in a ready position for the impossible, a doula's position, a servant heart. A servant says, not for myself, but for you, not my agenda, yours, not my resource, but yours. And in this moment, when Mary is struck with this new being, this new moment, everything changes. Instead of her saying, who is going to be my doulas?" Who is going to come beside me and do that? She looks at the, the Gabriel and says, I am not to you. So tell the Lord, whatever I can do, whatever I am, I give that over. However I can serve you, I am the Lord's servant. She doesn't try to maintain any control in this situation at all, at all which I was also struck with having recently given birth to two children over the last couple of years because there was this thing that happened with both adoptions, but our adoptions happened a little backwards where the Lord just was like, all right, here's a kid. And we didn't wait for months. We didn't like prep for years. I mean, it was very quick. But both both of the girls, there was instantly this desire to like get their rooms ready and, and to do all this stuff and I just thought it was like me prepping for having a new kid in our house. I mean, it was so much fun. We got to go shopping. Emma was in Houston with me when we got Josie, and we went and shopped and shopped and shopped for that kid because I was living out of state for a month. And so what else are you going to do? She had a lot of baby clothes, y'all. I mean, we had fun. And and we just... <laughs> we just <clears throat> from a distance, set up a nursery. We just had so much fun. And when I got pregnant with Cohen, I had that same urge, but maybe about 100 to 200 times more because it was over nine months. It wasn't just like boom all of a sudden and you're distracted with the baby and not sleeping at the same time. It was the entire time I had this urge to like clean house. And I asked Brad, I said, what do you remember the most about with all the kids? Like when I was prepping, when we were getting ready for stuff, she, he said, painting and moving furniture all the time. <laughs> he was like, everything needed new paint. Like it just, it, yeah, it was time and it had to happen. And so I thought how funny, we call that nesting, right? And so I looked it up, I Googled nesting, all right? 29 million results, 29 million. And apparently the cool thing is, As a mom, and by the way dads get this hormone released too, um, whether you're adopting or giving birth, the same hormones come out. Isn't that amazing? It's like the brain triggers and turns on the same thing because it's part of bonding. It's part of what makes you realize like you would give anything for this small creature here in front of you. And it doesn't matter how that happened right? And, and so uh, they say that there's actually, they can, they can track it all. I don't know all of it, but the hormone release says I, I've got to take care, I've got to prep, I've got to nest to build a place that's safe to fight for that. We fight to create a space to bring a new life into. <laughs> Here's the thing, Let's look at Mary for a second. She did the complete opposite, like complete opposite, not just a little bit, complete opposite. I was looking, I'm jumping over here. Um, Of course, don't you love it when the phone's like, oh, you were done with that, right? Like, "Um, no, not actually. Thank you. All right, verse 39 says this in the message, and I'm not quite sure about the other versions. I guess I can look it up later, but Mary didn't waste a minute. And I loved that version. She didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judea in the hill country, straight to Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. She didn't wait. She didn't force anything. She didn't say, well, now I have to, like, get busy and build this house. And now I need a nursery, and I'm going to need a crib and one of those little things that they sleep in. And I have to go test every single swaddling thing available because one might hurt my back more than the other. And, you know, they're hundreds of dollars, so I have to test all of them. She did nothing. I mean, I don't know what you would have done back then anyway. Torn up fabric and I don't know. But I'm sure there was prepping to be done, right? Re-whitewash the rolls in the house or something She didn't do that. She left home, and she didn't leave home just once, but she left home twice. So the first time she leaves to visit Elizabeth, and this is what I think is interesting, because what had they told us about Elizabeth? Elizabeth is pregnant, and that's one of the only, like, really, like, solid things that Gabriel tells her right now that's trackable and she couldn't, like, Facebook message Elizabeth. Yo, hey, cuz, um, by any chance, are you actually six months pregnant? Like, she couldn't do that, right? There's no way to do that. And so, but Gabriel gives her this hint. Like, hey, here's a solid nugget of truth and all of the rest of this impossibility. She's six months pregnant. And uh, so, so we'll talk more about that in a minute. But she leaves, and perhaps we can infer that she made herself useful while there. This was the end of an older woman's pregnancy. So when I adopted Emma, I was what, like 24? Woohoo! <laughs> I love it. So, uh, and I, I had a number of years as a younger mom, and I don't think of myself as older in any. I mean, my brain does not actually adjust to the years lived on Earth. I mean, it, it separates those. But when I was pregnant with Lottie. I remember one of my pregnancies, I went in and they were like, hey, do you want to be able to get your stuff online? Like to see we can email you things or whatever. I don't know what that's called. There's a name for it. But um, it's like basically all your medical charts are online. I was like, hey, that's cool. And so I signed up for it. And I went in and I was like, well, I'm going to see what they, y'all, sometimes you don't want to see what the doctors write about you. All right? Seriously. Because it wasn't just like older pregnancy. No, I mean it described me, and I can't even think of the word. What is the word like when you're really like, yeah? It was like a, it it was like beyond, like over the hills, too old to do this. (laughs) She might die at any point. Pregnancy. I just, huh? Well, it was more no, because it was referring to my age. So yeah, and I just sat and cried. Of course, I had all the hormones already. I was like, Brad, like look they describe me like I'm 38 and and they're just I mean it was just not good I I have never logged into one of those things again but and then I had the baby and then I realized there was a pretty big difference at 38 39 being up all night for months on end with a newborn versus having little kids in my 20s like that 20 year difference I mean, that's not 20 years I don't know what that is Thank you. That ten, <laughs> that ten-year difference is is huge because in that ten years, I have apparently killed off half my brain cells, and so when I'm sleepy and tired and sleep deprived and drinking too much caffeine anyway for that new baby, who's anyway, so it was just not good. And so here, Elizabeth has never had a baby she's walking it all the first time hormones and she's older like she's already gone through menopause and she's way older right and now she's like let's not break your hip Elizabeth okay and she's pregnant and so um Mary goes and hangs out well I can only think well she's probably making herself useful because she seems like that type of girl already right submitting I'll do whatever whatever you say Lord I mean I'm sure she was like Elizabeth how can I help you You know, and between her own vomiting and Elizabeth's like emotionalism, it was probably a really fun house, and maybe that's why Zachariah couldn't talk. (laughs) I'm just saying, because, like, seriously, I mean, he was like, we're just gonna deal with that situation ahead of time because he would have been in so much trouble. (laughs) And so, I'm sorry, guys. I it, it just, you know, it, it's, I, I don't know. Bless, bless, that whole, that whole house just had so much grace over it right then. And so she hung out for like three months. So the end of that three months would kind of infer, like if, if it's right, hey, she got up and ran there. Then it's about the time that Elizabeth gave birth. Oh, there's a new baby in the home. I'm starting to not feel so good. It's probably good that, love y'all. I'm going home. So then she leaves and she goes home. But she doesn't settle, right? So she goes home. And I think in my mind, I always thought that there was like a lot of months between all of this. So she goes home and now she's prepping her house and she's doing, no, she gets home and it's like, oh, time to turn around and go on another trip, right? It's time to get up and to go again, which is like at this point in her pregnancy, I'm sure, sure like it had to just be like all this stuff. I want to nest, I want to do this. I mean, she's human. She's a mom, and 29 million Google responses cannot be wrong. I mean, so I'm sure she wanted to do that. So she leaves her Bethlehem, leaving behind the comforts and the promise of a safer birth, but submitting to the unknown. She chose not to walk in fear as she trusted and walked towards Jesus' birth in a foreign land with an unfamiliar setting, she chose to trust not only God, but Joseph in that. He became her covering. She was in such a vulnerable spot, and she said, I'm walking beside you, and he had to make all those decisions. At that point in pregnancy, you just don't get to make a lot of the decisions, right? You're pretty dependent on other people choosing for you, and yet we don't have any sense that she complains or she's frustrated. You know, we don't get any of that at all. Um, So in that, she then chose something else. So she leaves, she goes to Bethlehem. In my head, I've always assumed that back at home was a nursery waiting. She never got to go back home to that nursery, if there was one. Maybe this is why she didn't nest, right? Because she chose, number three, a new destiny. Verse 31, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Excuse me, y'all, one sec. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus literally changes everything. We hear that all the time, right? I think there's a song, but it changes everything for us. But for Mary and for Joseph, it changed everything. First of all, the words of Gabriel bring a promise for new destiny. But what does she do with that? So David that's in there, <clears throat> the throne of his father David, that's a key word, right? That's a key word in the, the lineage of Messiah. So she knows, she knows what he's saying in this. But my son, the Messiah, impossible unless all of this is true. Unless Elizabeth is true, unless the baby is true. And as these things start ticking off as being true, she is probably forced to come to terms with what he said is true, right? And I wonder if over time, like, those sneaky thoughts start coming back, like, really, is this crazy? Could I be carrying the Messiah? Remember Zechariah? She goes and visits. That was Messiah quality stock, right? So she went and visited and there was no doubt the lineage there. There's no doubt any of that. Like that probably would make way more sense that that is the stock. That is the heritage of the Messiah. But who is she? She's young. She's poor. She's rural. She's not exactly noteworthy. There's nothing about Mary that stands out and yet this is the destiny from which the king would come. So she travels to go to Elizabeth and finds confirmation of that promise, and then she traveled with Joseph to Bethlehem, and then later to Egypt, right? And it was many years before she was really, quote, home again. She would never again be the young Mary dreaming of her wedding. Her life was forever changed, but she had a promise of who this baby was and what he was to become. And in that The promise was for her, too, of who she was and to who she was to become. What's happening was bigger than her, but what's happening here is bigger than each of us. Often our fears displace reality and proportion. We fear something. We we think of something. We laugh about something. We make something bigger. And the Lord is, listen, I have a destiny. I have a calling, and it is much larger than what you're giving it credit for. So you need to trust, you need to submit, and you need to know that that promise wasn't just for Mary. You're in that lineage as well. You have been adopted into that change, that family. In the face of Mary, she chose the three responses to submit, to trust, and to for a new destiny. I got to thinking that um, I can't really make too much fun of my parents because they're not here this morning. They're actually in the process of traveling to go see my brother for Christmas. But um, when my dad went to a Promise Keepers when I was, I don't know if I was 10 or 13 years old, he came home and he had this new word and it was like this new sentence that everybody in the family memorized until we were all green with it. And then I've used it with my kids. And I realized this morning on the drive up here that it had all of these things in it. The true meaning of obedience is threefold. Obedience means to do what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And if one of those pieces is missing, it's not obedience. You might be submitting to it with resentment or with that fist held high, right? Like I own all of this except this one little part of me. Then it's not true obedience. Doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And we start training those kids really little that they understand when when my kids are little the first thing they learn is to obey is right away, okay? And y'all, thank you for loving my babies because they're everywhere, right? I mean, they're all over, but they're learning. They're learning to, to obey is right away. And as they get bigger, we add on parts of that. And Emma and Josie could tell you that right or left, just like I could. And I didn't understand it. And now I'm standing before you in my 40th year going, oh my word, that's what Mary was called to do. And she did it. She trusted, she submitted, and she had a new destiny because she truly obeyed. And it set the path for each one of us that I can obey fully too. That's not something that's out of the realm of ability. And I think a lot of times we cut ourselves short because we think, I can't do it. I really can't give that up. I can't really let that go. Maybe you can't. That's where the Holy Spirit comes into the mix here because Gabriel brought that good news, the promise of the Holy Spirit who was gonna come upon her and change things. He didn't look at Mary and say, all right, so you guys are gonna have your first baby and you guys need to be really careful how you're raising him, because he's supposed to be Jesus, the Savior, and don't mess it up. (laughs) He, He didn't say that at all. He didn't give her any warnings of fear that led that in. He said, I have good news. I have a surprise for you, oh favored one, right? And she's like, Why would I be favored? But he saw in her the destiny of what she was to become. Much like I think we look at our children often and we say, I see what you can become. I see your future. Right? And we have to balance that, y'all, because I'm just going to take a moment out here because I know this will be put on the podcast later to say, not everybody needs a ribbon that's blue or purple all the time. Sometimes we all have to trip and fall and learn. But that doesn't mean that we don't get up and this isn't our standard. Does that make sense? All right, so thank you. I don't feel like I get a little tired of, um, Josie went and she was part of the speech competition and she prepped really hard and she was so excited. And then they handed out the ribbons and everybody got blue ribbons. That was part of it. And she was a little bit like, what? Like, she wanted to know. You know, (laughs) she's a little competitive right there. I mean, she just is, but that was fine. But I was like, wow, we all got blue ribbons? You did awesome, girlfriend, but it's a little funny. So in this, Mary did deserve a blue ribbon, though, right? She did what she was asked to do. So how do we do that? Those words, fear not, and then later on, for nothing is impossible with God, or nothing is impossible with God. So you know what's interesting? God's been trying to get this through everybody's head for thousands of years. If we go back to Genesis 18, Abraham had the same question of the birth of his son. Is anything too hard for God? And uh, and, and and out of that we see the same outcome. Jeremiah declares, "Oh sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you ever find that it's easier to believe in the creation of the world, than a healing right now. I find that hard for my brain to wrap around. Why is it that I can believe that God spoke the world into being, and I don't question it, but the idea that he could heal a knee immediately struggle? Like, I struggle with that. Like, how does this happen? Jeremiah is declaring, nothing is too hard for you. The gospel says, Jesus said unto them, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do you think that maybe Jesus grew up saying that because it was being said in his home? You know, again and again, he was being raised in that mindset. Right? With God all things are possible. And in Matthew 19, he declares that out to his men. Is it possible that our view of God is too small? So... Um, In Prince Caspian, so two weeks ago, y'all, I love Narnia, but I didn't realize I liked it as much as I did. Now, Emma and my other kids are huge. They've read it, they love it, they watch the movies a lot, and I think I've just absorbed parts of it because I never thought I was into it until the last several weeks, and I'm like, wait, that's like Narnia. So, we're gonna go there. Prince Caspian, and the siblings return to Narnia, but Lucy is struggling to adapt to this new reality. She longs to see Aslan again. And here, Lewis describes their reunion. And I thought this was so perfect. So here it is. And then, oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the moment of his tail, for the movement of his tail, He might have been a stone lion, but Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting his arms as if far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell half sitting and half laying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. "'Welcome, child,' he said. "'Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger.' "'That is because you're older, little one,' answered he. "'Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger.'" I think we have to be very careful to not let the size of our problems become bigger than our conception of who God is. Impossible things happen when we yield control. Mary was asked to walk a life no one had ever been asked before. We are called to walk in the context of her submission and trust into a new destiny. Each of us here has been given the same calling, to find God bigger than we have ever dreamed. God was intentionally filling this home, this place where there was no home, not in the context of what we as Americans, I'm sure, at Christmas time do. What are we doing? We are nesting, right? All of Advent is preparing the way for the Christ child to come on the 25th. For Christmas, it's like the apex of the entire. Well, at this point, I mean, right after Halloween, it just goes all the way up till Christmas, right? So some of us hold off. We're going to hold off till Thanksgiving Day, right? And then put up the tree. But what do we do? Guys, we nest that entire time. We prepare, we put up a tree, we get out the blankets and the pillows that say, like, Feliz Navidad or joy or something, right? And we buy all the stuff, do you not? I mean, you go and buy all the stuff, and the room becomes distinctly different for a time period, Yeah, we're nesting. We're prepping for this this time of a fulfillment that happens on the 25th. I would say that the downfall of emotions, the downfall of the disappointment of Christmas happens because we're nesting in a way that Mary didn't. It's not bad to prepare, but what are we filling it with on the 25th. When we come to that night and we come to that day and we eat and we celebrate and we do all of that, which is awesome, I love it, but our arms feel empty and people cry and feel alone and feel this disproportionate amount of anxiety and fear and trembling for a season that should be filled with joy, right? Because we're all rushing towards something, And although we don't have that baby that Jesus to hold into, the Holy Spirit offers that same sense of infillment and placement in our lives now and in our homes now. And just like we prayed over that house earlier for that presence of peace to be there, we can invite that into our homes. We can make that place ready as we do the preparations, as we nest for the 25th. We're not nesting just to gorge and eat that day. We're not giving gifts like the wise men did one to another and sharing joy just to get to that day and be like, all right, now we put up the Christmas tree till next year. There's a deeper meaning to all of this. I would say almost prophetically, we are nesting to become prepared for this next year, prepared for this next season where the Lord wants to say, I want to fill you in a new way. I want to change your destiny in a new way. That January 1st to the end of this, this next year can be different than it's ever been right? And for King's Church, we can look at it this year, the end of this year, the end of this time as we fulfill the God's calling as a church and as a body here, and we prepare for that. We can say next year's different, but we have to stop and to listen and to follow that light, right? Like she had to be obedient, to trust, to submit, and to be present where the Lord was calling her to be present, so I don't know about y'all, this year's been a different year because we were focused on the water. Praise God for being able to, like, shut off the leak and to pray and, and to see the Lord move in a different way. That's awesome. But because of that, our tree has about 15 things on the entire tree with lights. But luckily, that's because last year I spent, like, I don't even know, 20 hours um, <laughs> was researching and, and using little quick clip ties to like put permanent lights on the entire tree because I couldn't find the tree. I wanted a slim cut tree that had lights. So I was like, I'm going to make it because that's what Meg does. And so I spent hours and days, it was really days doing this and cuts up and down my hand. But this year we get the tree out, pop it together, plug it in and poof, it was lit. And it's a slim cut, like 12 foot tall tree to fit in a ridiculously high ceiling. And it looks perfect. And I prepped for a year for this, and now it has like 10 10 ornaments on it, because the ornaments are in boxes. And I spent several days this week just in like gut-wrenching guilt that like the kids are amongst mess in our home, and we're not doing the things of Christmas. And then the Lord stopped me and said, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Sometimes we have to let go of stuff, whether the Saxons needed to let go of the sword in their hand or whether it's expectations or whether it's just the pain of past disappointments. When we let it go, we can fully be baptized into that Holy Spirit, right? The water can fully take over and we can be completely present. Guys, I just want to pray together as a family here that we can let go of the things we need to let go of, to pick up the peace, pick up the things that the Holy Spirit is saying, this is the good thing that I have for you. This is your destiny. So would you guys pray with me?